Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. Hope everyone's having a fantastic day. Coming up later this hour, we'll be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. We'll talk about uh, the raid on Trump border, the immigration, since he's down in Texas, so that's a big, big deal there. And of course, now it's a big deal in New York and Washington, D.C., and maybe coming soon to a city near you. Uh, midterms, a, a couple of races today, Afghanistan, there's so much to discuss with him. Let's start out, though, uh, talking a little bit about the economy and about inflation, etc. So I found, you know, we have uh, Starbucks has been in the news lately because Starbucks is closed, is planning to close a bunch of their their stores. And the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, and uh, he said he went after Democrat city, Democratic mayors and city councils because he accused them of abdicating their responsibility in fighting crime and addressing mental illness because some of their stores, they admitted, closed because the employees were in fear of having to go to work, of having to work in the store because they're getting attacked. You see, you see these people, I don't know what is wrong with people, jumping across the counter because they got the wrong order and beating up a barista. And the barista's like, you know what? It's not worth it. Same thing in you know, fast food restaurants. It's the, the, I do not know what's happening in this country, but people have lost their minds. I don't know if it's the pandemic. People, their lives were upended. I, I, don't, I don't know what is happening, but it seems to be recent that you could be sitting in a store and someone just comes up and cold cocks you in the head. Boom. Just boom. What just walking past you. So, um, so I can't blame these people for not wanting to work in, in these, um, these businesses where just anybody comes in. Um, so he, he, he made his comments, like I said, about a month ago, they've had to close, they're closing 16 last, they had announced in July that they were going to close 16 restaurants, uh, due to employee complaints of drug use and violent crime on the premises. Now the drug use Remember the story, not that, probably like two years ago when there was a big deal. I want to say it was in Philadelphia because the cops had to come and um, there was a guy who was using the bathroom and he was homeless and, you know, drug abuse or whatever. But you have to buy a beverage. You have to buy a product in order to use their bathrooms. And there was a big blow up and it was racism and all the, you know, all that stuff was flying around. So Starbucks enacted a policy of keeping their bathrooms out. You don't have to buy a drink to use the bathroom. So shockingly, people started shooting, you know, shooting up in the bathrooms and it got to the point where actual paying customers couldn't go in. And some places even put, I think it was Starbucks, correct me if I'm wrong, I know you will, put the um 
the needle disposal thing in their bathrooms because the employees were having to pick up these these needles from the floors. They were hoping that the drug users would properly dispose of them. So anyway, so he uh, is blaming what's happening in our big, huge Democrat-run cities for the reason they had to close. Now, there's another piece to this, is just why I'm bringing this up. Starbucks, you know, there's a big push. A lot of the employees want to be unionized. And Starbucks, hilariously, doesn't want them to be unionized. And I always find it funny when karma comes around, when irony is abundant, because oftentimes the people who are sitting there in shock don't see the irony. So, you know, Starbucks, very liberal company, they suddenly don't want to unionize. Huh. Interesting, that, isn't it? Uh, So they're asking the Federal Labor Board. Now, here's another twist of irony. Not only is it ironic that they don't want to unionize, but get this. The votes to unionize have been conducted by mail-in ballots. Starbucks is alleging that that is rife with corruption. (laughs) Come on, you have to laugh at this. Shocking. Wait, what? Mail-in balloting? Rife with corruption? I'm sorry. Yes. So they're asking the Federal Labor Board to suspend all mail-in ballot union elections nationwide. Now, they're saying that the, the, the process is being corrupted by the board's personnel, the National Labor Board, and the union that is organizing the baristas. Now, more than 220 Starbucks cafes in the U.S. have voted to unionize. There's 34 elections in addition to that that are being or, that are taking place um, or they're being ordered. And seven more stores are waiting to schedule elections. So Starbucks is going to become a union shop. It's basically what's happening here. So um, they're also asking not only to pause in mail-in elections. They're, asked, they're requesting that all future elections be held in person. I mean, wait, you have to show up to vote? I'm sorry. That's horrible. That's a hardship. I can't believe Starbucks is such a horrible conservative organization. According to Starbucks, NLRB officials have allegedly coordinated with union agents to arrange for in-person voting at the labor board's offices during mail-in ballot elections. The company is also alleging that Workers United agents were given confidential real-time information about specific vote counts so the union could target employees who hadn't voted yet. Now, both sides are obviously... um, denying that there there's the company saying though that the nlrb and workers united coordinated to cover up the activity so they they say that um they were informed of these emails that went back and forth between the nlrb and workers united by a whistleblower and they say similar behavior has occurred in elections in buffalo seattle new york etc so it's it's just hilarious i think because I'm sure that that will never stop their, their liberal leanings, but it is fun to watch it come full circle. Okay. Let's move on. This story, I saw the second part of it, but this story, the first part of the story actually happened over the summer and I didn't see it. I don't know if anybody saw this. I don't know if you heard about this, but in June century aluminum company, the executives there announced that they were going to idle the Hawesville, Kentucky aluminum mill for about nine to 12 months because it was too expensive to even keep the lights on. The cost of electricity is too expensive to keep the plant's lights on. 
let that settle in for a second. Just process that for just a second. So the aluminum plant had to shut down because it was too expensive to pay the electricity to keep the plant running and also coal too, uh, but they couldn't keep it. So think about that just for a second, because on the other hand, the government is telling you to go out and buy an electric vehicle, but the electricity is too expensive. This is the second largest aluminum mill in the United States. They had to lay off about 600 American workers due to what they call untenable electricity and energy prices. Now, executives with two steel mills have announced that they're suspending operations because they can't afford the cost of energy to keep the plant open. Is anyone else noticing a theme? This is like Texas when they told people who own electric vehicles to please charge them during off hours because of the the, uh, drain on the system because of all the air conditioning running. California having to turn off the electricity. Now, I haven't heard stories about that this, this year. But last year, remember? And people couldn't charge their electric vehicles? Hmm. Bloomberg reported that um, this, this aluminum mill that had a shutdown, that is, going, is starting to shut down, that will lose 600 workers, they account for 20% of the U.S. supply of aluminum. The electricity has tripled. The cost of electricity has tripled in, they say, just a matter of months. So it takes a couple of months to shut down this steel because they have this molten metal in storage and they can't have it solidify in the pipes and stuff or else the the mill's no good. And then to restart it is another six to nine months. So they, according to Bloomberg, owners don't halt operations of facilities like this unless they've exhausted all the other options. At least two steel mills have begun suspending some operations to cut energy costs. Uh, In May, a group of factories across the Midwest warned federal energy regulators that some were on the verge of closing because of what they described as unjust and unreasonable electricity costs. Alcoa announced in July that it's going to begin the process to immediately curtail one of three operation smelting lines in their plant in Warwick, Indiana. Uh, They had done this in 2016 under the Obama administration because of cheap subsidized Chinese aluminum coming into the U.S. market. And then they reopened a year later in 2017 under Trump. At least six coal-fired plants in Wisconsin, Indiana, Nebraska, New Mexico are expected to shut down operations by 2026. Some are planning to close as early as 2024. So thousands and thousands of Americans are being laid off. But all of this production that's being done in the United States is now going to come from, I guess, China, which the administration is telling us how Build Back Better is going to, well, not Build Back Better, was it Inflation Reduction Act? Oh, we're going we're gonna to make chips in the U.S. That's what we're going to do. We have these companies in the U.S. I don't know. How about we just make sure that they operate before we start investing in all, a whole new business? The Sierra Group is an environmental group, and they say that almost 360 coal-fired plants have closed or are in the process of closing in the last few years. Only 170 remain operating because they want everyone to go to electric. But as we see, that's not necessarily the answer because of the aluminum and steel mills that can't afford the electric to keep the lights on. It doesn't make any sense. All right, more about the economy coming up. If you want to jump in, 866-868-68. Oh, so, oh I'm sorry. My goodness. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. That phone number that I just gave you was actually from the old Alan Colmes show, right? Remember Alan? 
okay, I think I have to take that off my piece of paper here. What do you think? 866-408-7669 is my number. And don't forget, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be joining us in about 20 minutes here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Berry Chantilly Cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I say that uh, the President and Senator Manchin's tax and spending bill is a massive transfer of capital from the pockets of the American people to the, uh, the Green New Deal, and it's going to cause energy prices to go up. And you know how much it's going to reduce world temperatures? Zero. None. Nada. Because India and China and Indonesia and Russia and Sub-Saharan Africa and South America will continue to emit CO2. So Americans get to sacrifice. Um, they, 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 get, they get the spinach without, without any of the dessert. That there was Senator John Kennedy, one of my favorites. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, and we, we've been talking about the economy, and we, we've been talking about um, these plants uh, steel and aluminum plants that have are shuttering down. They're, they're pausing operations. Some of them may close permanently because of the cost of energy. And previous to that, we were talking about Starbucks and the irony going on there about being going to have to close stores because of crime in some of these cities. Uh, Rich listening on WDBO in Cocoa Beach, Florida is on the line. Rich, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, good morning. Um, hey, I was listening to you. You brought up a really good talking point where uh, just say, for instance, like if it is Starbucks who opens up their bathrooms to the public and they allow people to shoot up in their bathrooms, if that is the case. And, um, you know, these people are going crazy, and, and there's a lot more of them now than I think there ever were. But say they create violence in that on that property, isn't that like an allowing that a lawsuit to be kind of, you know, think about it. They're allowing for these people to shoot up in their bathroom and then say they create a violence. You know, it's a, it's a possibility in my mind. I'm like, I don't understand why they're opening up the door, the door for a lawsuit. Yeah. Well, I think they found because of their woke policies, you know, have make it, they decided and they took a lot of heat for forcing people to buy a drink in order to use the bathroom because poor people can't afford it. And there was a big to do in Philadelphia and it you know led to charges of racism. So they went instead of just dealing with it, they went to the total opposite extreme and said, sure, we're going to open up our bathrooms to everyone. And I did look it up in 2019. They did add needle disposal boxes to bathrooms in some of its locations. So you're right. It does lead to um, to the 
possible lawsuits, especially because this started because two employees were stuck by hypodermic needles in Oregon because the employees cleaned the bathrooms. So it actually came about because of a petition that was started by Starbucks employees in just in 2018, and it got a bunch of signatures on it, and so thousands. And so the company said, all right, we'll add needle the needle disposal boxes because, you know, People who are shooting up heroin in your bathroom usually are so considerate to leave it clean when they leave, you know, so they're going to put the needles away. Rich, thank you. It's a great point. It's a fantastic point. I I don't know of any um, lawsuits that have arisen out of that. Let's go to let's let's talk about the Inflation Reduction Act for a hot second here. I love this. Let's go to cut 20, Eric. This is Jamie Raskin, um, and he was asked about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA, as they're calling it now, and about how it's going to reduce inflation. Here he is. Well, as as soon as the act goes into uh, effect, I hope that all of the provisions will begin to work. I am. Uh, I, I know that those who've been blaming President Biden for the inflation going up are now giving President Biden all the credit for inflation going down. So we're moving things in the right direction already. Yeah, and what parts of the bill do you think will will quickly work on that specifically? The, the, next question. Yeah. <laughs> part of the building is specifically think works on that. Uh, Next question. I want to answer that. But here's the thing. According to an Issues and Insight poll, it shows that most Americans say we are in a recession, despite what Jean uh, Karine Pierre says. Then excuse me, Karine Jean Pierre, I apologize, uh, that most Americans do think we are in a recession and the majority of Americans blame the government. So I think they're they're holding on to this, and the beauty of this uh, re, this uh, uh, what is it the Inflation Reduction Act? I can never never remember what the name is that they call it because it's none of those things. It's not an Inflation Reduction Reduction Act. But I, the beauty of it for the Democrats, and they're so smart when they do this stuff, is this isn't this is going to take years to have any kind of an effect down the road. They we will be into another president. Biden's going to be gone. But you figure if it takes two years to work, he's just going to be coming out of office because we know he's either not re- running again or will not be reelected if there is a God. And and so they're not going to have to deal with any of the consequences of it, right? Oh, it's the Republicans, because we'll probably have a Republican president again, knock on wood. Hopefully we'll have Republicans in control of uh, Congress. And if we do, hopefully they will repeal or uh, just slow walk a lot of this stuff. But the Republicans will catch the blame. So the, the Democrats are brilliant with this stuff. They shoved this through. They got this through, and they're going to spend more, trillions and trillions of more dollars. They know that by the time the bill comes due, they're going to be dead, out of office, whatever. And so it doesn't matter to them. And they're praying, fingers crossed, that it will be a Republican who is in charge of the economy, and then they can blame the Republican. Because if that happens, you know that the media will blame the Republican as well. Right. They're never going to say, oh, well, if you look at this happened because of the Inflation Reduction Act and it was the Democrats' fault, that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. All right. Coming up, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West to join us on a whole host of topics, including the border and immigration and a look at midterms. It's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But I think that any of us, uh, after 45 hours traveling, uh, being um, uh, the Texas governor, being disingenuous about, you know, what was the destination, what was happening, um, any adult or child, those are horrific con- conditions that place human beings under. And so it wouldn't surprise me, uh, based on what the commissioner stated, that they felt some form of stress. We are going to provide these families with the dignity that the Texas governor failed to do. That is who we are as New Yorkers. Uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Let's talk about that. There's a little bit of a civil war brewing here in the United States. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman, and also the author of the books Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death, and We Can Overcome, an American Black Conservative Manifesto. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Mayor, it's good to hear your voice. It's good to be with you. Oh, it's good to be with you as well. So you heard it sounds like Eric Adams is throwing down with Texas and says that Texas is not treating these people with dignity and they're forcing them onto these buses and forcing them to go to New York City. And they don't want to go to New York City. Is this true? Well, that's not that's not the case. I mean, they are not being forced to go to New York City. As a matter of fact, they are more than willing to get on these buses. They're they're volunteering and they have the consent to go. But the, the real problem I have with all of this is that when are we going to have someone that stands up and do what is you know constitutionally correct when it comes to this issue of the illegal immigration invasion that we're seeing here in the United States of America? And the fact that I look at uh, many of these buses and we see single military-aged males that are pouring into these, uh, these cities. First and foremost, they should not be sanctuary cities in the United States of America. That's unconstitutional. The second thing is that uh, Governor Abbott or no one, uh, the Biden administration, should be putting illegal on buses, planes, or whatever mode of transportation and dispersing them throughout the United States of America. That's a violation of our Constitution, Article 4, Section 4, where the federal government is supposed to protect every state in the Union from invasion. And furthermore, in Article 4, Section 7 of the Texas State Constitution, the governor is the commander-in-chief of the Texas Military Department is supposed to repel invasions. That's what we have happening on our, our border here in uh, the state of Texas, 1,254 four miles of board is wide open, people pouring across, and the numbers that are counting into the millions, 800,000 uh, of the gotaways that we don't even know or are not even tracking. And think about the drug uh, crisis that we're facing with the fentanyl. Think about the human and sex uh, trafficking crisis that we're facing. So no one should be aiding or abetting human trafficking in the United States of America, but yet that's what people are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I just want to play a clip for you. This is Cut 13, Eric. This is the Mm -hmm. commissioner of the New York City Office of Migrant Affairs. His name is Manuel Castro. And he was at Port Authority where these buses are being let off. Here's what he had to say about these Mm -hmm. people being forced to come to New York. We're concerned about people being held against their will, Uh, people who are on this bus whose final destination is not New York City. We've heard from uh, the individuals that arrived here that many... In fact, most people that started off in Texas had to get off on their way here. Some were being refused uh, to be allowed out of the bus. 
So what he's referring to there, and I don't know if you saw the story, but a, 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 apparently there was a bus mm-hmm. from Texas to New York, and they stop in some of these smaller places in Tennessee. In They'll Georgia. stop in Georgia. And mm-hmm. they wanted to get off in Chattanooga. And the bus, they forced the bus to stop in Chattanooga, said, if you don't let us off this bus, we're calling the police. These people are in the country illegally. But they were going to call the mm-hmm. police on the bus driver. And apparently a whole bunch of them just got out and left. Doesn't, I mean, doesn't that open up for lawsuits because if they're not afraid to call the cops they'll they'll easily file a lawsuit i'm sure there's a lawyer out there who is more than happy to to take the case especially if something happens to them if they get off the bus in chattanooga and god forbid one of them is is murdered or injured or something like that doesn't that open it up for a lawsuit well sadly it 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 does because we're in a litigation nation here in the United States of America and people that are here illegally can somehow use our own legal system against us in the United States of America. They shouldn't here be here in the United States of America. They should not be on buses or planes. And what is so amazing to me where were all these folks in New York complaining about when we had airplanes landing in the middle of the night in the airports uh, right up there in Westchester County or, you know, any of the other places in uh, in Pennsylvania where they have been flown in in the middle of the night? You know, they were been flown in into Florida. They've been flown in into Tennessee. But now all of a sudden the left wants to try to use this to their advantage. And this is what happens, Mary, when you deviate from the rule of law. If Governor Abbott was doing what was right and necessary under the Constitution, uh, these are not migrants. They're illegal immigrants. And saying that we're going to process you, we're going to get DNA testing, whatever, if these are not family use, then we're going to repatriate you back across the border. Then we don't have this back and forth with New York. Then you bring the real attention uh, to the Biden administration not doing its job. And that's what happens when – I'm going to be very honest. When you create this political circus, this political stunt, this gimmick that is going on, now the left has taken it, and they're going to run with it, and they're going to you know, create their own narrative to their advantage. Instead of us saying, we here in Texas has to do what the federal government is not doing, what the Biden administration is not doing. That's securing our border. We're not going to fall into the trap of enabling a drug, a human, and sex trafficking crisis here in the United States of America. Now, to to that point, you do have uh, the GOP chair in Texas, Matt Rinaldi, mm-hmm. is asking for Governor Abbott to declare an invasion at the southern border. Yeah. So far, nine counties and one mayor have declared an invasion. Uh, should it be done on a statewide level? And what would that do? What, yes, would, it, what would that change? Yeah, it, it should be done. And I think one of the critical things we could do, we could fo- focus our resources. And I think along with that, you need to designate the uh, the cartels that they are a transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization. And the state of Texas can designate them as such. And we can start going after the cartel money that is here in banks in Texas. We can go after cartel members that are operating freely here. We can go after the stash houses. We can start to, you know, freeze their uh, bank assets and their accounts, things of that nature, and freeze the assets of those people that are aiding and abetting the cartels when we declare them a terrorist organization. So it opens up a whole uh, avenue of approach because we're not – this is not just going up against a business organization. We are fighting a terrorist organization. We're fighting an insurgency along the border, and those border counties here in Texas, they understand that. They're being overrun, and that's what we should be focused on instead of putting people on buses and sending them to New York or or Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. 
before I, before we run out of time here, and, and, and I didn't realize you could do all those things if you declared it an invasion, just basically do what the federal government isn't doing. And it's sad that yeah. Texas Texas has to do that. But I just want to switch gears uh, quickly before I run out of time with you. I just want to pick yeah. your brain about the midterms, if you don't mind. So yeah. clearly Liz Cheney is going down. She's she's not she's been primary. Toast. She's not going to be reelected. And it's by a staggering yeah. uh, a percentage. What does that say to you about Trump? Is it about Trump or is it about the movement that he started in this country? Because I can separate the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the- I think that's so important that we don't focus on a person. We don't focus on personalities. We focus on policy and principles. And I think that's what you see happening. But, you know, when you look after the raid that was done at Mar-a-Lago, what happened in the uh, primaries in Wisconsin and several other states last week, Trump candidates won overwhelmingly. Look what happened with Leora Levy in Connecticut. She won by 10 points over GOP establishment candidates. And you're right, Liz Cheney is going to get trounced anywhere from 30 to 40 percent. So I think the message to the GOP establishment types is that you need to get on board. The American people, especially conservatives, are understanding this is an ideological battle that we're in. 87,000 new IRS agents who uh, have to be comfortable with being armed and also the use of deadly force, that's a threat to the American people. So who's going to stand in the way of this progressive socialist Marxist onslaught and the disregard of the rule of law? So we need to have a plan from the GOP saying this is exactly what they're going to do, much same as Newt Gingrich had with his contract with America. Does Mitch McConnell have the, and, and Kevin McCarthy have the guts to actually do it, though? Uh, having been inside that uh, that little bubble, I don't think so. I think that you may need to be looking at new leadership. Uh, and, and when I look at the fact that you have a very tepid response from senators, some senators, no response after what happened at that raid at Mar-a-Lago, that's yeah. very telling, Republican senators. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. I I don't think Mitch McConnell, I've been wanting to get rid of Mitch McConnell. Great. I mean, he got a lot of judges through. I have to give him credit under Trump. He got a lot of judges through. And that's just a good thing. I don't think they're fighters. I think they're too comfortable and they're very comfortable with the status quo because it keeps putting money in their pockets. And so I I agree. It's maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to retire some of them. Uh, One more quick question. Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. They have a weird system there. I think the top four Mm -hmm. vote getters get to get to go on. But she right now is underwater uh, and she's been there for a really long time. Is that because she voted uh, against Trump? I would have to say yes. And, and again, people are really looking at who is going to stand up for us, who is going to fight for us, who is going to uh, defend the rule of law against this very lawless administration that we see up there in Washington, D.C. And that's who uh, the type of person that I think that many want to see up there in Washington, D.C. right now. Yeah, absolutely. I say this all the time because I have to give my husband credit, but he said he's been saying for years now that the GOP needs more women who fight because the women seem to be the fighters. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the uh, Lauren Boebert's, the Elise Stefanik seem to be the ones who are willing to fight. And he said, you know what? Hate to say it. He goes, but think uh, some of the men and the older men in the GOP need to retire and let some of the women take over. I was like, oh, good for you, honey. (laughs) Well, you you know, women of Sparta, that's what we're looking for. And like you say, uh, I've said before, some of these Republicans need to find their big boy pants. Yes, exactly. I love that. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ellen West, thank you so much for your time today. Always appreciate you. Take care, Mary. 
Let's ta- let's go to the phone, shall we? 866-408-7669. If you'd like to comment, 866-408-7669. I'll get your calls coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. We were just speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and we were talking about uh, the immigration, especially, you know, the Texas-New York fight that seems to be brewing, and Mario Bowser in Washington, D.C., asking for the National Guard. Hilarious. But this story is from the Telegraph. So they're having a similar problem a little in overseas, right? It's not just here. But this is with Afghan refugees. Apparently, on Friday, the government in the UK revealed that about 2,100 Afghans have been relocated to the UK after, you know, we had that spectacular handing over of the country to the Taliban under Joe Biden a year ago yesterday. Remember that? Uh, good time. Good times. Well, according to a report from The Telegraph, about 9,500 Afghans and their families are still living in hotels in England a year later after they were evacuated from Kabul. It's costing taxpayers about a million pounds a day. This is in addition to the three million that have been spent per day housing other migrants in hotels, including those who cross the English Channel illegally. And I have to tell you, it kind of wore my heart to hear that because I was like, oh, good, we're not the only idiots. At least we have at least we have friends in other parts of the world that are also idiots. Despite a lot of these Afghans being unhappy living in the hotels, they're not happy living there, which I kind of get it. It sounds really great because someone else is paying the tab for you. It's a room. It's a room. And you're living in close quarters with everybody. You can't escape anywhere. So I kind of get it. There is a reluctance. They don't want to move to Scotland or Wales because they think that they're, it's too cold there. And they also are, they also, for whatever reason, don't think that people speak English there. So they're saying that the British government saying it's a challenge overall finding local housing to accommodate asylum seekers, not the Afghans, but also they have British citizens who are on a list waiting for homes. And I personally think the citizens should go to the top of the list. He said, while hotels do not provide a long-term solution, they do offer safe, secure, and clean accommodations. So the uh, the UK border force admitted last year that all on top of all this, that many Afghans arriving in the country with forged identity documents. Now, they, they were asked, the Home Office was asked how many Afghans were brought to Britain who turned out to be either on watch lists or persons previously deported. But they uh, they said it's not in the public interest to release these statistics. So they don't want to move because, no, we don't want to go there. It's too cold for free housing, free homes in Scotland and Wales. Free, free. US, uh, you've got U.K. citizens aren't getting this free home. No, you know, it's a little too cold there. I'm not just not feeling it. And besides, they don't speak English there. Like, no, they speak English there. So they don't want to leave. Here's how you get them to go. You kick them out of the hotel. Sorry, stays up. We're done paying. There you go. Bye-bye. And they, this, the, the Telegraph tells a story about in 2020, a migrant from Sudan went on a stabbing spree in Glasgow in a hotel. He was living in the hotel. He stabbed six people, including a police officer who was critically injured because 
he thought the quality of his free room in the hotel wasn't good enough for him. And he and um, migrants at the hotel were unhappy because their free hot meals were often comprised of spaghetti or macaroni and cheese, and they weren't culturally appropriate for their diet. Kick them out. You don't like the accommodations. You can go back. You really we will we'll buy a plane ticket for you because it'll be cheaper. But they're just as dumb as we are apparently in the UK. Let, very quickly, let's get Steve in Florida on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Steve. Oh, hello. Hey, I just wanted to uh, call and say that it was uh, very irresponsible of you to lead into the segment by saying that uh, we're getting into a civil war. What's the purpose? I didn't of that? say we're getting into civil war. Yes, you did. You said we're uh, we're getting into a little bit of a civil war. Oh, be, no, 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 no. That's be, be between <laughs> between those are your exact words. Uh, you're right. You're right. I did say I, we're looking at as you know, like a little bit of a civil war here. But I mean, literally yeah, a civil there's, war. There's so I didn't mean literally a civil war. That's that dumb. Take... That's dumb. It's dumb. I didn't mean literally a civil war, dude. Stop it. Stop. Stop. Stop it. Would never advocate for a civil war. It's got New York fighting Texas, North South. It's an, it's an it's an, what do you call it? Comparison. Stop it. Dumb. All right. Um, so you've got this problem. So you've got this going on with the immigrants in in England, and like we have here with the North is where you've got these blue cities, and DC, by the way, is considered a southern city. So there you go. Uh, from going from Texas and Florida. Uh, and Arizona, excuse me, Texas and Arizona, and they're being bused to these sanctuary cities. And they're promising that it's not just going to be New York. It's not going to just be uh, Washington, D.C. It's going to be other blue cities around the country. And honestly, if you declared yourself a sanctuary city, there's, there's states that have declared themselves sanctuary states like New Jersey. I think it's going to be a problem when more and more of them start to come and they start to get unloaded and those declared sanctuary states and cities aren't ready for them, aren't ready for them. And now all of a sudden the problem that's it's okay when it's being kept down at the border because it's not in my backyard, then it's okay, right? But it very well may be coming to their backyard or your backyard unwittingly. And that's when the tune changes. Mary Walter, you're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's kick it off here with. Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor. He's the former U.S. assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. His book, Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Great read. I've read it from one end to the other. Fantastic book. Andy McCarthy, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, Mary, great to be with you. I'm so glad to have you because I have rapidly learned that about a year ago, everyone on Twitter were, were medical experts regarding COVID, and now everyone is a constitutional law experts regarding the raid on Trump. Uh, so I thought yeah. maybe we could speak with someone who really does know what is what is happening and going on and cut through all of the Twitter noise. Uh, um, so, you know, the, the DOJ says they're not going to release this affidavit. Uh, that just that is used. It's a, the supporting document used to get the warrant. They, re, you know, we got the warrant, but they're not going to release that just that that 
uh, documentation underneath it. Last night, the president called for the immediate release of it, saying, I have no problem with this. I want this released. Why doesn't the DOJ want this released, and is it a legit concern? Well, they never release these. I mean, generally speaking, in a normal criminal case, not that there's anything very normal about this. Yeah. Um, but in a normal criminal case, you don't – the underlying search warrant gets filed under seal with the court. And the reason is that's where you lay out your probable cause. And if you're using inform, there's two main things. If you're using informant information, usually if the targets could read the uh, the affidavit, they would know who the informants are. So that this would identify uh, the informants, even if the war, even if the affidavit doesn't name them by name. There'll be enough information about that that the that the people who are under investigation will know exactly who the government is talking to and who's cooperating. And the second thing is, if you do a search in the middle of an investigation, um, the search the warrant affidavit will lay out your investigation to that point, and it will be a signal to people who are under investigation. Number one, that they're under investigation. And number two, that maybe they want to start either getting in the wind or destroying evidence or getting their story straight, et cetera. In my cases, like real criminal cases where you're dealing with like mafia and drug dealers and that sort of stuff, um, you usually did the search warrants at the end. And you would have the same affidavit for the search warrants as you would for the arrest warrants. Um, but, you know, because it's unusual and there's risk in doing it in the middle of an investigation. But here they've done it. In the middle of an investigation, and I think that's because they don't really intend to charge to prosecute any of these charges. Which which is interesting. I noticed that the warrant was said that they could get take anything from when Trump was in office, from the day he took office, January of uh, 2017 to January of uh, 2021. Anything that seems. Right. To, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't. That seems to me to be a bit broad. Yeah, it's very broad. It's uh, like it's almost broad to the point of being a general warrant. Uh, and that's the, the general warrant is something that the, you know, the British king used. It was part of the reason that we had a revolution. It was one of the things that they objected to, this idea that you don't, didn't really have to have probable cause of anything and you could root around and take whatever you wanted to take. Um, so here's what I think they're doing on that. Number one, it shows that this is not about classified information. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't want the classified information back and they don't care about the classified. They want it back, but they want everything back. And the thing is, the Presidential Records Act, which was enacted in the uh, 1970s after Watergate, um, makes all of that stuff government property. And the National Archivist has been trying for almost two years to get it back from Trump. He doesn't want to give them everything back. And when Congress enacted this Presidential Records Act in the 70s, it didn't put any criminal law provisions in it. Uh, so it's a civil statute, and, and that means you shouldn't be able to get a search warrant to enforce it because search warrants are for crime. So what DOJ did here is they have this statute, uh, Section 2071, which is cited in the warrant, which makes it a crime to, like, remove or conceal government files. And what I think they've done here is they've stitched that to the Presidential Records Act to criminalize it for the first time in history. 
So when I tell people I think they've created a, a crime, especially for Donald Trump, that's what I mean. They've criminalized the, the Presidential Records Act, which previously could not be enforced by the criminal law. I, I want to I want to play a clip here from Leon Panetta. He was on CNN, and we've heard a lot. I hear and see a lot of people opining again on Twitter uh, about the declassification, how the president can declassify things. Here's Leon Panetta, and I want to get your take on this. Former Trump aides are now trying to claim that there was a standing order by the president, Donald Trump, to declassify any document that left the West Wing for Trump's resident. Is that how declassification works, even with some of the nation's most guarded secrets? Uh, you know, that's nonsense, and, uh, and he knows it. Uh, the reality is that there is a process for declassifying information. Uh, and if presidents want to declassify, they have to follow that process. There is nothing that I'm aware of that indicates that a formal step was taken by this president to, in fact, declassify anything. Right now, this is pretty much BS. Is it BS? Well, look, I think Panetta is constitutionally illiterate, but he's not entirely wrong in the sense that um, the, the constitutional reality is presidents are not bound by the regulations and procedures, which are usually promulgated by presidents, by the way, uh, for how it, subordinate agencies and subordinate officials in the executive branch are supposed to do things. So there is a process, like if you're the head of the FBI and you want to declassify something, um, you have to follow the, the regulations that the president has promulgated. And the last uh, classification regulations were promulgated by Obama in 2009, and that should tell you something. The fact that the president is the one issuing the regulations um, means that they're for subordinates. They're not for the presidents. Presidents are only bound by the Constitution. And under the Constitution, the president can declassify anything he wants to declassify. He doesn't have to follow a process that's been prescribed for executive branch subordinates. However, I mean, to the extent that what Panetta is saying is that it's irresponsible to, you know, willy-nilly declassify things or to have a standing order saying that, like, if I carry something from the Oval Office to the resident's uh, abracadabra, it's it's declassified. Legally, Trump may be right about that, but politically and, you know, responsibly and every other thing, he, you know, that's not a way to, to treat classified information. And more to the point, let's say that Trump had nuclear information that would be damaging if it fell into the hands of one of America's enemies. It would be true that he could declassify it, it would also be true that it's irresponsible to have it in a place where it's not well guarded. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the thing we're seeing is people are melding what they think they know about the law and, you know, their political point of view about how you should handle classified information. It's kind of like watching getting your information from The View. Um, <laughs> the president, the, the president did declassify some documents regarding Crossfire Hurricane on January 20th of 2020, his last day in office. And the administration chose the, the following administration uh, chose not to. They're, they're just not releasing that. There's concern that some of the information they could have taken that he could have had could have been things that he said he did declassify, like the, that information that now they've taken and they won't give back. Could it be, could this, could this have been um, kind of a cleanup operation? 
Well, you know, I think in part, sure. I think there's three levels of this. One is they're having this battle over the Presidential Records Act. This is one of these things between Trump and the government where Trump says it's mine and the government is saying it's mine. You know, before 1970, Trump would probably be right because um, unclassified materials from presidential administrations were basically the property of the president. That all changed in the 70s. So Trump wants to keep it because he regards it as his stuff. The government wants it back because the law says it's their stuff. So that whole thing is going on. Then there's this classified information thing where they actually do want some of these documents back that they're concerned about. Uh, And then I think the third thing that's going on that can't be disassociated from everything else is the Justice Department has a very aggressive investigation where they're trying to make a case on Trump on January 6th. And they're figuring that the stuff that went to Mar-a-Lago was probably the last generated stuff by the Trump administration. Uh, You know, most of Trump's stuff is in the National Archives where it belongs, but this is the stuff they packed up as they were, you know, chaotically leaving at the end. And to the extent there's anything that might be relevant to that time frame, to January 6th, they want it. So they wrote a warrant that's as broad as the day is long, and they hope to accomplish all three of those things. So they found the man they're looking for the crime, and this is how they're going to do it. Um, they, they took his passport, three passports, and um, that wasn't on the list. And, you know, so is it up to President Trump or any of us in this situation where they, they just come and raid your house? You know, they're coming and they just take everything. You don't know what they were supposed to come and take. Is it up to you to just have, I guess, an inventory of literally everything in your home so that you can then go back and see what you're left with? Well, the inventory is not very illuminating here. I mean, some of the stuff says, you know, I mean, they're supposed to live, leave. They can't be expected to, like, write a description of every single scrap of paper they take because life is too short. But they, you know, you usually get a little better description than box number 34. You know, who, who knows what that means? Um, the law entitles President Trump to file a motion for the return of his property. Uh, when some, when you know, you want to contend that the government took things they shouldn't have taken uh, in a search warrant, the law provides that. If I were Trump's lawyer, I would probably tell him to avoid that. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid of saying something like, "Look, they took attorney-client privilege information." I don't think that argument goes very far, but you know, you don't have to say much with that. But I think with respect to anything else where he'd have to make factual representations, if I had a guy who was under investigation by the government, I wouldn't want him making factual representations until I saw what the government was going to do. Because if anything he says now, he's going to be locked in later on. So I think, you know, it's frustrating, but I would just kind of watch how this plays out, because if he does get charged – then he has all kinds of uh, ability to, like, move to suppress evidence and, and move to, you know, right. say that the warrant was illegal for X, Y, and Z reason at that point. So I have I have two minutes and two questions. So very quickly, <laughs> is this comparable to what Hillary Clinton did? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, she took information that she converted to her own use government records that were not hers. Some of them were classified. And she destroyed tens of thousands of them, and she wasn't prosecuted. She not only wasn't prosecuted, they never raided her place. Right. 
So, so much for equal treatment under the law. And lastly, on a different note, uh, we do have uh, Alan Weisselberg, uh, who is the former Trump Organization yeah. CFO. He's reached an agreement with prosecutors and he's expected to enter a guilty plea in a criminal tra- tax fraud case. Does this spell trouble for Trump? Did the Southern District of New York finally get him? Did Letitia James finally fulfill her dream? Well, my recollection is that this is the, the Manhattan County District yes. Attorney's investigation. So the Southern District of New York took a pass on this case, which means, you know, my old I oh, worked in okay. the Southern District of New York for 20 years. Yeah. They don't they don't give anything away if they think it's a sexy case. Right. So, um, you know, I think they thought there wasn't anything there. My recollection of the indictment against Weiselberg is that it was a bunch of nonsense, like, they, you know, basically getting overly favorable tax treatment for grandchildren he was putting in private schools or something. You know, I mean, it was just nickel and dime stuff. And they were trying to squeeze him to hand up Trump, but he, you know, he wouldn't do it. So I, I really think if there was something there, the Southern District of New York wouldn't have let the Manhattan DA take it. They would have taken it themselves. Yeah. And this is the sad part. It's just lawfare. And they just get you to plead guilty to make it stop. And then they're like, look, we indicted another one. Uh, a- Andrew yep. McCor- Andy McCarthy, thank you so much. Uh, it's so enlightening, and I feel smarter now. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Your calls on all of this. And, you know, I had another thought with all that stuff they took. It'd be really good for oppo research on a presidential candidate, wouldn't it? Hmm. Your call's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What about our emails? Do Democrats now believe that that mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think it is. We should think it's serious when Hillary does it, when, uh, you know, she had seven top secret emails on uh, conversations on her server. She had declassifying authority. We should have thought that was serious. We should think this is serious. This is but no, it's different, partisan though. Partisan. Yeah, of course, it's different. That was a uh, former DOJ spokesperson, Sarah Iger on ABC. It's diff. This is different. You know why? Because Trump did it. Not Hillary, Trump. And if one more person tells me it's whataboutism, my head's going to explode. And I just keep saying to them, it's not whataboutism when you say, well, wait a minute. This has been done in the past and there was no raid. Why now? Um, It's not whataboutism. It's unequal treatment under the law. That's what it is. And we should all be concerned about that because just because your team is on top and they're getting all the free passes and they're not being held to the law and you're only enforcing the law on people with whom you disagree – just remember that that coin can flip very quickly. And then you're not going to think it's such a great thing anymore. 866-408-7669. We're just speaking with Andy McCarthy uh, about what happened with the Trump raid and declassification, all that good stuff. Let's go to my home state in New Jersey. Alex, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. How are you today? Doing great. Go ahead. Yeah, um, questions real quick on the declassification and the FBI. I mean, what we do know is that the FBI was involved in doctoring stuff for the get FISA. You know about them with the Whitmer kidnapping. And there's stuff out there about January 6th and all that. But uh, my question is, we know the president has the sole power to declassify. And then he sets the protocols. We're under him what their protocols are to declassify. My question is, who classifies stuff? 
And whatever entity that is, I mean, there could be corruption, there could be collusion, but if you stamp a classified on it, the public never knows, no one ever looks at it. I mean, what's the power that classifies stuff? Yeah, I believe that the documents go through review with whichever uh, agency it would be, uh, it, it would pertain to. So if it's like foreign intelligence, I would assume that Homeland Security would be involved. You may have CIA involved, uh, other agencies as well. But they have teams that will go through this stuff uh, and it'll go from one department to the next, maybe even do it together to decide whether this is a good idea to classify this or not, uh, to declassify it or not. But if that vetting process is corrupt, like we know with the FBI and certain things they're doing, right. you know, there's, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, You're you know right. what I'm saying? You stand a classified on it, now it's hidden. The corruption is hidden. No one ever sees it. It's not public. Yeah, and, and you you bring up a really good point here, Alex, and drive carefully. I can hear your blinker. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's the problem, and this is why Americans, I don't think, trust our agencies anymore because look at what happened with Carter Page. We know that they concocted stuff, and the guy, Eric Kleinsmith, who was the, the, the only person to ever really to be charged and convicted of anything, he, he, didn't, he wasn't disbarred. He got a slap on the wrist, and he was let off of probation early. And he's back out as a practicing lawyer. So people don't trust them, and rightfully so. I'm Mary Welteren for Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in with you for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669 is my number. So a very, to me, a a very um, scary piece was written in the Atlantic. And I I think we've seen bigotry. Obviously, there's anti-Semitic bigotry in this country. um, But... but I think it also is kind of Christians and Catholics also have become a very favorite target. You see Catholic churches, you know, Jane's Revenge absolutely saying, we're just going to come and, and we're going to vandalize and we're going to, you know, we're going to come after you and the Justice Department and crickets uh, because, you know, they're not a preferred religion or a protected religion on the hierarchy in the left. So there was a piece in The Atlantic by uh, a contributor named Daniel Panaton, and it's titled How the Rosary Became an Extremist Symbol. And he says in here, just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists in general, the rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical traditional or rad trad Catholics. I didn't know that if you're a traditional Catholic, you're radical. I didn't know that. Now I am a practicing Catholic, so I guess I'm a radical. And I, I had this conversation about this uh, with my with my husband. We were we were just on vacation with friends, and everybody's cat. We were all Catholic, and not that it wasn't planned that way. It just worked out that way. And um, 
we, we were discussing, we were talking about this. And my husband said to me, he goes, honey, the last thing we have to worry about is the rosary. I'm sure our name is on watch list somewhere. <laughs> he said, just strictly for your job. I'm like, thank you. And he flies the Gadsden flag sometimes under the American flag and sometimes Blue Lives Matter. So I'm sure we're on some, several government watch lists. So you could just add the fact that we are practicing Catholics who both say the rosary uh, so, uh, to another list. Because apparently we are radical. That It's radical. He goes on in this piece to say, on this extremist fringe, rosary beads have been woven into a conspiratorial politics and absolutist gun culture. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned into something dangerously literal. Well, Catholics do view the, saying the rosary as... as um, part of your, your prayer and it, and, and to fight evil because Catholics do believe that by praying the power of prayer, Christians believe in the power of prayer. I'm sure Jews believe in the power of prayer, but you'll often see when someone's sick, you'll see, you know, prayers, people will ask for prayers. And, and I do believe that prayer can, can help and can change things. That's why we have things called miracles. Um, you may see it on a small scale, could be on a big scale, but I do truly believe that. But I don't think that that makes me, um, a gun-toting absolutist extremist. In his piece, he says, social media pages are saturated with images of rosaries draped over firearms, warriors in prayer, deus volt crusader memes, which means God wills it, and exhortations for men to rise up and become church militants. Um, you be really upset over the Knights of Malta. Uh, that that's Catholic organization for many. You'd also probably be upset at the Knights of Columbus who do things like hold carnivals for children for the proceeds go to benefit children's charities. But you know, there's a lot of, because when, when Christians were being fed to lions, they, they, they kind of had a resistance thing going on and they believed that God would, you know, smite their enemies. And a lot of religions believe that including Islam, including Judaism, a lot of religions believe that God will smite their enemies, but apparently it's the Catholics turn. Uh, Jews have been on the, uh, the left's bad list for a long time. And now it's the Catholics and they're just becoming more open with it. And I, I found this scary. I think it's very scary. And there's a lot of things, you know, as, as a Catholic, I notice like Christians where you don't wear the rosary as a necklace. It's just not something you do. So you'll see people, Christians who, who will use the rosary as a symbol. I guess they, they like to wear it. Um, but that's not, that's not our thing. 866-408-7669. I quickly want to go to Rachel Campos Duffy. Duffy this is Cut 16, Eric. Uh, she was on primetime, and uh, she and her husband, uh, Sean, are, are Catholic, and they are devout Catholics. So I guess they're rad trad because they're radical traditional Catholics, I would assume. Um, here she is discussing this op-ed. For those who don't know, this is a beautiful prayer that was started in the 13th century, um, and it is far from being divisive. It actually unites Catholics across centuries and across today in the modern world, across um, nations and races. So what's behind this? Right. Why That's are they doing it? The question, the reason is because the rosary and all kinds of spiritual things have always had the, the a battle type of imagery with it. And they're using that to label Catholics and Christians um, who talk about this in spiritual battle um, uh, imagery and language as extremists. And this is the beginning. It sounds funny at first, but this is the first step for laying the foundation of calling them radicals, extremists, 
and 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 alienating them from but, the public quickly, square. I absolutely 100% agree with everything that Rachel said, and especially that last part there. It sounds funny at first, but this is the first step for laying the foundation of calling them radicals, extremists, and alienating them from the public square. Do you agree? 866-408-7669 is my number. Let's go to Matt in North Carolina. Matt, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hello, Mary. How are you? I'm doing great. Go ahead. That is my home state, New Jersey, by the way. Yay! Um, <laughs> but I'm in North Carolina. I couldn't afford to live there. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my friend is sitting in the, out in the yard waiting for this, me to make this call. He's a Vietnam vet and a Catholic. Well, that is ridiculous, in my opinion, to call a rosary, whatever they're calling it, the leftist, a radical leftist. It's, it's crazy. But is but you know what I think Rachel Campos Duffy is correct where she says they're they're laying the foundation for calling Catholics radicals extremists and to alienate them from the public square which I find interesting because most Catholic parishes are really liberal like I know being in New Jersey our our, our Catholic Church is is pretty liberal um, and which is why sometimes you go to a different church but. I find it odd, though, but it's it's the fact that it's the war on religion in and of itself. They started with the Jews. Now they're going for the, for the Catholics. Then they'll go for Christians in general because it's just like a communist country. That all good things come from the government. If you have a belief in another source of good, then you don't need the government as much. And that's what this is about. Do you agree? Yes, I do. You know, she also talks in here, and, and I'm interested to see how your friend is going to see here. They um, the Sw- they talk about the Swiss Guard in this piece, since you have a friend who's a vet out, sitting outside. In this piece, he says, in 2016, the Pontifical Swiss Guard accepted a donation of combat rosaries during a ceremony at the Vatican. Their commander described the gift as the most beautiful weapon that exists on the market because um, the... the uh, what do they call them? Combat rosaries were go back to World War One when plastic rosaries were given to uh, servicemen when they were going overseas. The Catholic servicemen got these plastic rosaries they could keep in their pocket and and to have and to pray on because as Catholics we believe we we pray for protection, we pray for good things. There's a whole reason, a lot of things that people pray for, and yes, yeah, sometimes it's defeating the enemy. So, I mean, how how would your friend feel if, you know, co- quote-unquote combat rosaries are now going to be something that they're going to go after and you can't have those either? I'm going to go ask him, Mary. All He's right, I'm going to put you on hold. I'm gonna put you, you go ask him. I'm going to put you on hold, okay? And we'll come back to you. Let's quickly go to Paul on Long Island on WRCN. Hi, Paul. Hi. Hi, Mary. How are you? Um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, the power of prayer is very underestimated you know in the bible it says you know when we pray you'll answer our prayers you know whether you're a catholic episcopal or whatever non-denominational we all believe the same thing we believe in jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and yada 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 but you know this this is an infringement on our rights to to be able to worship the way we want to you know they don't go after radical muslims you know I mean, what now? It's, it's, they're going to ostracize the Catholics for the military? I mean, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's 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 ludicrous, man. 
But you know what, though, when we don't see when we see these attacks on Catholic churches in the wake of Roe, you know, because it's all the Catholics fault, because there's no other denomination like Jews or Muslims or, or Christians, Presbyterians, whatever you happen to be, that could possibly think that abortion is bad. It has to be Catholics there. You see Catholic statues that are being destroyed all over the country. They're being uh, vandalized. They're having, you know, the heads cut off the statues, which I don't know how you do that. So these people are prepared. They go into churches. They destroy the tabernacle. They, they you know, put graffiti on the outside of the church. And I don't see the DOJ talking about this or the DOJ declaring this, you know, like we have to start watching churches or protecting them. None of that's happening. And that says to me that they're okay with this. Yeah, well, that's, that's a bunch of malarkey. You know, it's, it's, it really is because, you know what, it, 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 we all have to vote come November and, and straighten this country out regardless of, you know, whether you're a Catholic, like you said, a Presbyterian, Episcopal, a, you call yourself a Christian, non-denominational, whatever, or a Muslim and you're peaceful. You know what? This is what our country was founded on, the founding fathers. Yeah. And, you know, so we can live in peace together. And and it's like they don't they only want to prosecute who they want to prosecute. I was listening to you before with with the Hillary thing. I mean, she committed crimes, felonies. Yeah. With her, with her server, and why didn't they go after her? Well, because you know now, she didn't mean to. We we know that James Comey gave her the out and said there was no intent, even though that was not part of the law. Paul, thank you. I um, don't mean to be rude to you, but I would just want to quickly go back to Matt. Matt, I'm back. You're back. So I just want to know: does your is your friend familiar with combat rosaries? Yes, he said that's uh, highly irregular and highly crazy and going to communism and everything else that we all know, Mary. Okay. I was just curious if he, if he was aware of those. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you joining me, man. Thanks for hanging on there. 866-408-7669. There's more from this, um, this op-ed. Also, something's happening at the Globe Theater, you know, um, Shakespeare's Theater in England. The Globe Theater and a play that they're doing there about a Catholic icon. So it's not just here that this is happening. It's happening overseas as well. And I'm going to get more of your take on that. 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. For the same reason they wanted to call parents who were fighting back at school boards domestic terrorists. It's to silence you. It's to make you feel like if you speak out, your livelihood, your reputation will be on the line. It's to take you out of the public square. And so the reaction to this from Christians across America should be to do the opposite. Commit to fighting in the, in the public square for religious liberty and commit to praying because that's also how we're going to get there. Rachel Campos Duffy on primetime talking about this Atlantic op-ed by Daniel Peneton. And I thought this was interesting. I'm not, obviously I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I highlighted some spots. He said, many take genuine sustenance Catholics from Catholic theology's concept of the church militant and the tradition of regarding the rosary as a weapon against Satan. I don't know. I thought fighting Satan was a good thing. Yes, that's how that is how we we view it. It is a it is a constant battle, good versus evil, and you do you know pray to to defeat Satan. Absolutely. So that's suddenly a bad thing here in this piece from the um, from the Atlantic. 
It's very weird. Uh, James in Raleigh, North Carolina. James, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how are you? Uh, interesting uh, topic. And I was just, uh, as I was writing, I just thought, you know, our faith is radical. You know, to believe the tenets that we have in our tenets and, you know, to believe that the birth of a virgin and just what we believe in the power of prayer, it is radical. So I'm I'm not so concerned about them calling me radical than I am what the DOJ is doing and what's going on, you know, with, with the other aspect. I mean, we've been shielded for a long time, but it really is now it's time for us to stand up and truly be radical. Now, I'm not telling anybody to go kill somebody. But, uh, well, you know, you can kill them with kindness and with love, but that's radical in the world that we live in. What do you think? You know, that is a great point. One of my favorite things to do, because I do drive in New Jersey, so it's a, it's just a zoo, is people will often flip you the bird. And so this, this van pulled up next to me, and I have no idea why, because I was in my lane. I was in the, the right-hand lane. It was only two lanes, and they come up on the left-hand side, and they looked out, and this woman flips me the bird. So I, was, so I just turned around, and I just blew her a kiss. Uh, and she, you, she wouldn't make eye contact with me after that. And my husband's telling me though, you have to be careful because they could be a psycho, get out of the car and shoot you, which is a really sad comment on the world in which we live, that that is actually a concern now. But I think you're right. There are Christians and Catholics fight in a certain way. And we do it through the power of prayer, which doesn't hurt anybody, right? We're not a threat, but I, they think we're a threat for obvious reasons though. And that's the problem. I will add one more thing um, for for the listeners, and this is my mantra: is like in a mad world, you got to be crazy, crazy enough to believe, crazy enough to insist on what we read and believe in what we read and what we, you know, what our tenets are. I mean, and don't allow anybody to pull us the wrong way and be confused by things that are confusing. I mean, so yeah, right. I'm radical. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Well, I like it. I I like you a lot. Thank you so much for joining me and taking the time out of your day. Appreciate that so much. Thank you. I just wanted to tell you quickly about what's happening at Shakespeare's Globe Theater. There's a new play that that is there called I, Joan, and it's about Joan of Arc. But they portray her as, quote, a legendary leader who in this production uses the pronouns they, them. So, so they've made Joan Arc transgender Joan of Arc. Now, I would love to see them do that with a Muslim hero, right? Like a fighter in Islam. Do that with Muhammad, why don't you? And get back to me on how that works out for you. But they come after the easy targets, the low-hanging fruit. They're never going to do that to, uh, to an Islamist uh, hero, saint, whatever you want to call it in their, in their religion. Now, and the other thing about this is she's a woman. Joan of Arc was a woman. She was born a woman. She was a woman. And that's what makes her so much of, of a hero and why she's held up is everything that she did. She fought in wars as a woman. She was a hero. She died for her beliefs. So we're going to take that away from the women. We're going to take her as a, a way, as a female icon. And we're going to make her trans, you know, cause we're so hip and cool. And we're artists, so we're pushing the boundaries. That's what we're going to do. They would never do that with any other religion. Uh, Matt Walsh says, the fact that Joan of Arc was an actual woman is the whole point and what makes her story heroic and significant. But then again, shoehorning non-binary characters into historical stories will always be clumsy and stupid because non-binary didn't exist until 14 seconds ago. 
He's absolutely right. And there are there are calls now in England for um, for defunding basically the globe because it operates at part in taxpayer at taxpayer expense. So many things here. We know that story. You know, we're paying for a lot of this liberal stuff on NPR, etc. And we're paying for it in the name of art. So it's OK. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Welter in for Brian Kilmeade, like Frank just told you just there. 866-408-7669 is my number, 866-408-7669. Let's do something a little bit lighter, shall we? Let's, let's go a little light. Let's, let's go there. And I say it's like some people will think it's horrible, but I, I, I think this is a little bit of it. We can have some fun with this one. So remember Al Gore told us that uh, by now, by the time we got to this point, the 2020s, we're going to get there. All the world's going to end. We only have so many years left. You know, you hear AOC going, we only have eight years left. Okay, then don't repay your student loan. If you think if you really believe there's only eight years, don't repay your student loan, which I don't think she's repaying it anyway. But uh, remember, he said that the Arctic in the summer was going to be ice free. There's going to be no ice in the Arctic. Remember that? And we showed all our kids the polar bears dying because we had to scare them to become good little climate Scientology, you know, climate adherents. And that's would be their church of a church of uh, climate change. Well, so a little study was done. And they looked at the National Snow and Ice Data Center that looks at all the snowfall in different parts of the world and also, you know, the ice coverings at the the two poles. And you zoom in on the chart and look at this. Arctic ice, the extent of the Arctic ice reached a 12-year mid-August high. Now they have a melt-off in the summer months, depending on where you are, depending on you know, whether you're north or south, and they check the, the Arctic ice there. It's a 12-year high. But yet the administration and the Democrats just spent trillions and trillions of dollars, you know, so we could, they could protect us from climate change because the planet's too hot. And if you ever have want to have fun, especially with a keyboard warrior who's talking about, oh, the plant's too hot, we have to, I said, well, you know, ask them how far, how much we have to lower the temperature. They'll tell you 1.5 degrees if they know their stuff. Otherwise, they'll say, I don't know, and call you a name. 1.5 degrees. Ask them why 1.5 degrees. And, and if, they, if, they, if they have some kind of answer, you say, okay, when was the world last at that temperature? Because they don't know. And then if they do, if you happen to get a live one on the hook, then then you could do your research and see what the world really was like at that point in time. And then what happened afterwards climate, in the climate. It's a lot of fun. When I'm, when I'm bored, that's what I do. So, you know, everything is climate faults change, right? Everything is because of, of climate change climate fault. Climate change is fault. Uh, and, and you see it all the time. Everything is because of climate change. Remember when those two people were killed outside of the White House when they were walking, that, that bolt of lightning came down and just got four people, two of them died. We were told it's because the storms are more violent now because of climate change. And that's why those people were killed. And it's your fault if you don't drive an electric vehicle because you hate people and you want them to die. 
And then we find out, well, no, actually, uh, that's not true. Their thunderstorms aren't more prevalent. In Washington, D.C., that area, I live there, they get a really bad weather. You know, we keep being told every year, this is going to be the worst Atlantic hurricane record on season on record. It doesn't happen then. Since, since Sandy in 2012, things have been relatively good. But they keep telling us it's getting worse. Well, now, according to a study published in the journal called Temperature, they are blaming, they're finding that today's children are 30% less aerobically fit than their parents were at their age. Fewer children are reaching uh, the World Health Organization's recommendation of 60 minutes of exercise a day. Would you like to know why that's happening? You ready? Climate change. It's too hot out. Kids don't want to go outside. It's too hot. Send them out in the winter. Uh, Shawanda A. Morrison uh, is one of the people in the study who did partake, partaking in the study because one of the study authors. And she argued that rising temperatures have caused children to stay indoors. They're getting more inactive and they eat more. Her work focused on what they call heat stress assessment, and it makes the point that it's more dangerous and less fun to be active if it's extremely hot outside. Now, as someone, because I'm ancient, who grew up without air conditioning, and actually in my own home, we had air conditioning installed five years ago. So I've been living the vast majority of my life without the benefit of air conditioning. Yeah, we are, we're Neanderthals in our house. When I was a kid, we actually, dirty secret, had air conditioning in our house, but my father would only turn it on if there was company. That was it. And my parents had a fan, a window fan in their bedroom. And if it was too hot to sleep, you were allowed to bring your pillow and sleep on the floor in their room so you could feel the fan. That was it. He wasn't turning the air conditioning on. If it was too hot, he would tell us to go outside under a tree, sit, sit under a tree and read a book. But even in the summer, we played as kids. We come home drenched in sweat. So I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. So why do you think that our kids are little tubalubs? And you see a lot of kids really chunky. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. When I was a kid, very few kids were really fat. Now you see it all the time. And it's sad because it, these kids are now going to fight this their entire lives if they don't get it together. You got to get it together when you're young. Because if you don't, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to get it together later. They're saying that um, climate change... A 2021 abstract published in the U.S. National Institutes of Health, National Library of Medicine, uh, titled Climate Change and Obesity, said that the current COVID-19 pandemic has caused some decline in greenhouse gas emissions. So that indicates that the pandemic was a positive for global climate change, right? Because fewer greenhouse gases. That's what I'm always being told. That's a good thing. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Not so fast. Because according to Shawanda Morrison... Climate change will not only exert direct effects like higher ambient temperatures in many regions, but it will also be responsible for indirect efforts that can independently affect child physical activity habits, for example, as observed during the COVID-19 global pandemic. Now, do we sit inside more? Yeah. Do I think the pandemic probably made us fatter? Mm, Yeah, there are a lot of us who are like, oh boy. You know, wine Wednesdays and margarita Mondays and tequila Tuesdays. Maybe we need to lighten up on that a little bit. It was fun during the first two weeks. Maybe that needs to change because everybody's, we wore sweatpants. We didn't go to gyms. A lot of people weren't even going out to go for a walk. You had to wear a mask on your face. So a lot of us definitely became sedentary. 
But that's not because of climate change, according to the U.S. National Institutes of Health's National Library of Medicine. That piece also said following multiple lockdowns, there was further increase in obesity in wealthier populations. So we keep being told that poor people can't go to gyms. It's not fair to poor people. They can't get healthy food. Well, it was the wealthy who got fatter during the pandemic. 866-408-7669 is the number. A study by MarketWatch suggests that obesity may actually be causing climate change. So it could be the other way around. Fat people are making the climate worse. First, would they blame the cows? Remember, it was the cows' fault because cows were farting and it was the cow farts who were making it worse so we should all become vegetarians, that whole thing. Well, researchers in a recent, recently published study found that global obesity was estimated to contribute to an extra 700 megatons of carbon dioxide emissions per year. Huh. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's go to Virginia, Austin. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hey, uh, how's it going? Uh, obviously, I think that the take that they're that they're going with when when it comes to saying that global warming is the reason why children are obese uh, is is completely a farce. Obviously, we know the majority of kids nowadays parents go out and buy their children fast food this, fast food that, processed foods. You know, kids aren't going out and exercising the way that they need to be. Um, you know, I go to the gym every single day, Monday through Friday, for, you know, 60 to 70 minutes uh, at a time. I go out and I run outside. I love running outside when it's hot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where kids are just, they're, they're becoming more tuned into electronics, video games, and, and social media and everything, which, you know, obviously that was something that has been said uh, before, you know, cell phones and technology got to where it is now, uh, saying that, you know, it's going to make people lazy. And it, it definitely has. Nobody picks up the phone to talk to anybody anymore. They text. So, you know, it's it's just people are just becoming more and more lazy with it. And, and it's definitely not because of, you know, climate change, uh, which has changed its names for you know, a million times from global warming to climate change to climate crisis to everything, which you can right. obviously tell when, when you've got to when you've got to change the name of your uh, your your pedaling what you're pedaling. You know, it's obviously people get onto that and know that it's it's not real. So yeah. you know, obviously, yes, there there are some differences and. In climate, you know, people, uh, we, we litter all the time, which causes a lot of different issues. But, you know, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't think that it's, you know, obviously, you know, children being fat and overweight, you know, is definitely not because <laughs> the, the <laughs> earth is getting warmer. Right. No, listen, don't be a climate denier, Austin. Come on. That's, you're going to be labeled. You'll be in a watch list somewhere. <laughs> Thank, you <Uh-oh>. for jo- <laughs> Thank you for joining the show. He, he talked about littering, though. Yeah, we litter. Okay, we do litter. I think litter is becoming worse, especially in our big cities. I, I, but if you ever watched Mad Men, there is an episode kind of early on, maybe like season three, somewhere around there, and they go for a picnic, and they've got the they've got the car, the old car, and they've got the the blanket out and all their food and everything. Kids are running around playing with a ball or whatever they're doing. And they clean up and she just takes the blanket, takes the basket off of it, packs stuff away. And then the paper plates, the the soda can, all that stuff. She just shakes it in the air, folds it up and leaves all the garbage. 
Because it's this, it was the late 50s, early 60s, right? It just leaves the garbage. So if you think we littered out, it was way worse. So we've gotten, we've definitely gotten better at it. But, oh, I laughed when I saw that scene. I was like, oh, no, she didn't. Because that would be unthought of, uh, unheard of today, which is a good thing. 866-408-7669. Are kids obese because of climate change? And if it's not climate change, then what is it? Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Oh, that guy lies. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. If you'd like to join me, 408-866-408-7669. And we're discussing a study that came out that is blaming childhood obesity. The reason for it? Climate change. It's climate change's fault. Everything's climate change's fault. Everything is climate change's fault. This goes wrong. Climate change. That goes wrong. Climate change. So, uh, but yet we're we're seeing some medical and scientific uh, publications also pushing back on that as well. Now, a 2017-2018, so this is kind of old study from the CDC, surveyed over 5,000 U.S. adults, and they found that 4 out of 10 Americans are obese. 4 out of 10. 1 out of 10 are severely obese. Americans were considered severely Americans that were considered severely obese in 1970 was only about one in a hundred. It's 10 times more common today. The overall obesity rate has gone up about 40% since the year 2000, 40%. What is happening? So it's not just the kids, it's the adults as well, but I don't think it's because of climate change, but I think when you have parents who are overweight or obese, they eat a certain way and then the kids see that and the kids are fed the same food and the parents probably eat larger portions. So the kids eat larger portions. It becomes familial. It's not because you got a gene. It's not because of anything like that. It's not a medical reason. The medical reason is that you, you, you're fine. You're just learning. It's nature versus nurture. And the nurture in the home is to eat bigger portions, maybe reward things with food, maybe not make good food choices, not exercise, and all those things. In 2020, Earth.org published a piece that linked climate change to obesity. This has been going on for a couple of years. And they wrote that malnutrition, especially obesity, is a leading cause of poor health worldwide, despite no obvious connection Climate change is also a contributing factor to the issue. So they say, despite no obvious connection, but it's also climate change. Okay, so tell me what the connection is with climate change. 866-408-7669. Let's go to Virginia. Cindy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Go ahead. Uh, I was disagreeing with the gentleman before, uh, 100% in his assessment of what's going on. And what you were saying just then, in fact, it was almost what I was going to say to you. But the bottom line to me in all of this is that parents are trifling. If you don't (laughs) want to be bothered with kids, don't have them. There's too much available to prevent having kids. And as you said, the kids see what the parents are eating and their behavior, and they just fall in line with it, and it becomes generational. And if 
it didn't hurt me to go outside from sun up almost to sun. As long as I was in by the street light time, I yes. was okay. And <laughs> I've been around for almost eight generations. It wouldn't hurt them to get out there and do the same thing. But parents are afraid of their children. If the kids don't want to do it, they won't do it. There's no discipline. If they, I don't know, don't spare the rod. I'm not saying beat them to death, but there needs to be some kind of discipline. And this obesity thing could easily change around. Put the screens down and go do something physical. And if they want to cry about climate change, um, if they get the opportunity and they go that direction, they can discuss that with God. He created all of this. And as far as all the ice flows melting and all this other stuff from climate change, when ice is in water, it's going to melt anyway. And the water was there first. Yeah, no, but but they're saying that it's actually happening less, that the ice flows, the ice field is growing, which is a great thing. Cindy, a pleasure speaking with you. You have a great day, and thank you for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I, I think, though, I don't necessarily know that it's discipline. I just think it's the way the parents live their lives. And you have to make activity a family thing. I think of a family that I know that, you know, the kids for a treat would get carrots, baby carrots. They were told that that was a treat. That was their treat. And you, oh, you want a carrot? Yeah. So the, the kids always asked for baby tomato, baby um, carrots as a treat. They also, when they were real young, they got little baby tomatoes because they could squish them and stuff. And they thought it was great and they would eat them. So it, it's as opposed to, hey, for a treat, you got good grades. Let's go get fast food or something along those lines. They also would go hiking and they would take the kids in, you know, wherever they could in their backpacks or whatever. And they're not like one of those super granola families. They're not like that at all, but they wanted to get the kids out. And I think that that's important. Now, all three of their children are incredibly healthy, thin, uh, you know, never going to have a problem with obesity. And that's because you learn these habits at home. And so you, you know, kids practice what they learn, what they're taught. And I think that has far more to it, but it's easier to blame the clients, the client, the climate. And it's something that you can't control and say, oh, well, I can't control it. That's that. And, you know, give Johnny another cupcake. If you ever watch any of the shows like Too Large, they're all on TLC, right? So Too Large, my uh, 60 day, uh, um, not 60 day, my 600 pound life. You never watch any of those. You can see how it's familial and the habits and how they, you see the kids falling into the same thing. So I think probably that has a lot to do with it. All right, more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I always forget to tell you, but um, I do have a podcast if you want to catch me. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on Gitter. It's called Mary Walter Radio. We'll do uh, new new episodes every we'll, every Thursday night around 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you just go to YouTube or Gitter and just look for Mary Walter Radio, there it is. So 7.15 on Thursday evenings. And we have some fun there. Talk about a lot of stuff. 
Right now, we're talking about climate change, and uh, it's a study that's been published, a published study says it's climate change's fault that children are more obese than their parents were and less aerobically capable than their parents were at the same time. 30% less aerobically fit than their parents were at their age. That's a big deal. Here's something else that I think plays into this, is this push for what they call fat acceptance that you're beautiful no matter what. And I see it on the beach. I live in New Jersey, so I see a lot of things on the beach. But I've really noticed that young girls especially uh, don't care of about wearing a two-piece. Like there's just no second thought about it. Now part of me is very torn because part of me feels like, well, that's a good thing because they're confident in who they are. And then I'm also like, yeah, but, you know, there's there's that aspect of it as well. So I think it's a double-edged sword, especially when it comes to kids, between teaching them to love who they are and then also, though, saying, well, you know what? You can love who you are. Maybe there should just be a little bit less of you. That's all. And, and so I think parents have to walk a really fine line when it comes to that. One of my, one of my nieces had a weight problem, and her, her two sisters, thin, tall, the whole bit. She's tall as well, but she always had a weight problem from the time she was a child. And she loved her sweets. She was the sweet eater and she would eat all that. And with the other two weren't as sweets driven, but she was like four years old. And she told me that she, um, she doesn't look like her sister in a bathing suit. And her friend says she's fat and she was four years old and said she was fat. You know, so, so it became a big taboo. We never talked about, you know, body and anything like that. You know, we tried to always reaffirm, but her parents also put an emphasis on eating healthy and exercising and all those things to help her. And now she went to college. She lost a ton of weight, did it on her own. Boom. She's eating healthy and she's like a different kid now. So maybe it all finally sank in. 866-408-7669. Joey in Jacksonville listening on WOKV. Joey, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. I just have one observation on this conversation. I live in a neighborhood like most people do with schools. And when I grew up, on the weekends and after school, we would meet and play on the schoolyards because that's where everything was. You could play basketball. You could do anything you wanted. Now they're locked up. They're across the street, and they're locked up. So you can't go there after hours. You can't go there on the weekend. So what are the kids supposed to do? Well, what do you mean they're locked up? Why are the playgrounds locked up? Is that normal for them to be locked up, or is this like a weird They're constantly locked up. I don't know if it's too many lawyers, too many lawsuits, or lack of control, but you can't get on a school grounds after hours, at least here in Jacksonville Beach. I sit and look at the basketball hoops as I watch my walk my dog, and they're all locked up. Every gate's got a chain and a padlock on it. And all the, you know, the playground equipment sits there idle. So unless you're under supervision, apparently you're not allowed to use it, which is, again, I think what's part of the problem is kids today aren't running through the neighborhoods playing kick the can, learning how to deal with each other, putting up with bullies learning things on their own. They're always under supervision of parents or teachers or somebody, and and they don't learn how to deal with anything. That's very true. That part of it is very, very true. Kids cannot figure out how to get out of a box if you gave them directions. No, and when we grew up, you watched somebody get bullied, you felt bad for them. Maybe you bullied somebody yourself and felt bad, but you hung out with kids two grades older and two grades lower, and you played in the neighborhood, and and there was nobody overseeing all of that. 
like yeah. the previous caller said, be home by the streetlights. Yep. Well, you know what, though, in, a, in part, it's it's societal because we've all been scared to believe that there is a, you know, a child abductor around every corner, which kids now have cell phones. So I think you're much less likely at this point in the game to be abducted than you were when we were kids, because nobody would know for hours. You'd be gone for hours and nobody would know. But I think we've been cowed. Parents have been cowed to believe that if the kid leaves their sight, oh, my gosh, they're a terrible parent. And and in some places, if a kid's walking across the street by themselves, somebody calls the cops. So so we don't want to let our kids out by themselves. They have to be supervised at all times, to your point. And I think that that has played a lot into this as far as being very detrimental. That is a great point. Thank you so much, Joey. Have a great day. That's That's an excellent point. Kids are not allowed to figure it out on their own anymore. You're a terrible parent if you let your kid, you know, go walk to the grocery store with, you know, $2 and tell, you know, tell them to buy some bananas. You're a horrible parent. Oh, my gosh, you let your child out. They could be abducted. Now, as far as playgrounds go, I can only speak for my little town here. My little town has a, a kindergarten through eighth grade school, one grade, one classroom of each grade. That's what we have. It's very small. And everybody knows everybody. But the playgrounds, everything is across the street from the school, and it's open all the time. So I think that you can't close it in. It's a huge baseball field. It's everything. So it can't be locked up. But I wonder if, because we are such a litigious society, so I blame you if you're one of those people, that, um, that you know, nobody can have, you're the reason why we can't have nice things. So I think that that is part of it as well. Let's go to Kurt in Missouri. Kurt, you are on the Brian Kilmey show. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Mary. Love you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to say we're giving into the left. It's, it's really the uh, greenhouse gas theory, not climate change. And see, that's what we need to differentiate. Okay. They're using, they're using that to do the carbon dioxide methane, but it's only a theory. It really hasn't been proven. The other thing is we got away with the president's physical fitness award about two decades ago. Yes. I think that was a big contributor. Plus Can I just say, I know I sound 10,000 years old, but the president's fitness test, and I know right now that uh, Allison and Pete and Eric have no clue what this is, but I remember that thing, exactly. and I hated it because you had to climb that damn rope in the gym that hung down. Like Nobody oh, yeah. ever knew what that rope was for. It was for the president's fitness test. You had to climb that Dumb rope. I hated it, hated it, hated it. Oh, it was the bane of my existence. I was so happy when they got rid of that thing. And gym class, they got rid of that too. You know, that's that's a great, you know, I want to ask that question. Thank you so much, Kurt. I, I appreciate you joining me. I hated that rope. Oh, God. Did they get rid of gym class and everything now? Is that gone? Because we don't have time for recess. That's a big deal. Kids need time to burn off steam. They really do, especially boys. Boys need that time. And I think that plays into why we say that, you know, Boys are a problem, but they all have everybody's on Ritalin and everything else because they have ADD or hyperactivity disorder, whatever, because we don't run them. <laughs> you know, you got to take them out. You got to run them at least once a day to let them get their energy out. You, you feed them lunch and then you make them go sit in a classroom. They're going to fall asleep. You got to run them. And if we're not doing that, I think that that's really bad. I think that that's a really sad thing if that's not happening in our in our schools. So if you want to make me smarter on that, please do. 866-408-7669. Lots of calls. A lot of people want to talk about this. I'm so excited. Uh, I will get to you next coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. So that last caller made me think of the presidential fitness test. And I looked it up. It started in the 40s. And uh, yeah, the late the 1940s. But uh, let's see, it ended under the Obama administration. Yeah, ended under the Obama administration. But there was the retirement of the presidential fitness test. It started to change under when Bill Clinton was president, and they started to, um, you know, you didn't have to, like, rise to the top, and they, they focused more. It was more equitable, and that continued under Bush, and then Obama put the final nail in the coffin of the presidential fitness test. But I'm not as old as I think I am because uh, everybody remembers, uh, Allison and, and uh, Pete and Eric, remember the presidential fitness test. And Eric did point out that when you had to climb the rope, they put like a little mat under it, even though you were in the gym on a hardwood floor and it went up really high. It would go up to the rafter and you had to touch the rafter at the top and, and then, you know, come down. If you fell, you're breaking something. Nobody was going to catch it. It was just going to be an oops and they'd send you off to the nurse's office and then your mother would come and get you and you'd go to the hospital and have your broken arm fixed or whatever it was. And that was that. And it was like, your parent would be like, what were you doing? You're like, the presidential fitness test. And they're like, okay, <laughs> that would be the end of it. Things are a little different today. Uh, talking about childhood obesity, if it's caused by climate change, as some are alleging, uh, John in South Carolina, John, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Mary, great show. Very good. You're very astute. Listen, Thank you. when I was a kid, I grew up on a bicycle. Every field was touch football or baseball all the time. When I got in high school, I was always pushing lawnmowers and caddying. So we were always outside. Now, listen, this climate change business is a religion, and it's a scam. Number one, it's true. About 10, 12,000 years ago, all of North America into the United States, through Canada, Siberia, and Europe, was in the Ice Age. Glaciers a mile thick. What happened to them? The Sahara Desert was a big plain the size of the United States. A grassland with giraffes, because the Egyptian guys have pictures of them in their hieroglyphics, showing they were hunting these animals, rhinoceros and zebra and everything else. Now it's a desert. They blame it on carbon dioxide. And I know carbon dioxide is 0.04% of the air, meaning one mo- four molecules of carbon dioxide out of every 10,000 molecules of air is CO2. And all the green plants take that little bit of carbon dioxide, use it in photosynthesis, and make carbohydrates, cellulose, all the algae in the ocean. It's all taken up in photosynthesis. So you tell me where, how, when, and why this man-made climate change is a big thing. It's a farce, it's a scam, and it's used to scare people and use as many other things to destroy us. Yeah, it it is an absolute religion. You're 100% right. I agree with you on that. They worship at this altar, and that's but they want to impose their religion on everyone. We all have to, you know, also worship at the same altar that they do because this is their religion. And it's part of the government, and the government is their religion. This is just a sect, one of the many sects of government religion. Gene, well said. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate that. 
866-408-7669. And here's the other thing, having this conversation, sorry, that was John. Sorry. Sorry about that, John. Um, this conversation, does anybody else feel really, I feel so old back when I was a kid, right? like I've become my grandparents because I'm looking at all these overweight kids and I'm tut tut and going, kids got to get out and run. You know, like, but we didn't have it. You know, I think also this is another thing. I think the advent of air conditioning has, and, and so widespread has made us uh, fatter because again, I only had air conditioning in my home until five years ago because it's the home was built in 1881 and they shockingly didn't have AC and it cost a lot of money to put it in. So, but before then we noticed that in the summer we lived on salads, peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, cold food, and you don't eat a lot during the day. I would just drink water all day long. Uh, I didn't eat a lot. And I think maybe that has something to do with it, that our parents and our grandparents um, well, our grandparents really didn't grow up with air conditioning. They didn't live in air conditioning. It wasn't part of their life. And so they lost weight in the summer. They would help, it would help maintain their weight in the summer. And then in the winter, you know, they would eat more because it was, it was winter. It was more comfortable. So because we're comfortable all the time, I think that has a lot to do with this. We're soft people. We're soft. Let's go to Jean in North Carolina. Jean, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hi, how you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, well, your most of your other callers kind of made the points I was trying to make. Um, as far as childhood obesity goes, a lot of it has to do with helicopter parenting. A lot of parents are are so afraid to let their children outside to play because they're going to be abducted or somebody's going to snatch them and do horrible things to them or whatever, which is understandable, but at the same time, they don't get any time to go outside and live life. You know, and as far as the, the go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, that's a hard balance to strike. I get it. Like I understand why parents are fearful because we've been trained to be fearful, right? If a child was abducted in Ohio in the seventies, you didn't hear about it in, you know, New Jersey or South Carolina. Now it's, you get an alert on your phone every time a child's abducted, which isn't very often, which should tell you something, but you know, you know about it right away. So I think there's this fear that has been instilled and I don't know how you unring that bell because every parent wants to keep their kids safe. Exactly. Yeah. I have three kids myself and my wife was kind of the helicopter parent. She was so afraid of, of all that. And I was just like, you know, let them outside, let them breathe the air outside. And she's like, okay, well, they have to stay in the backyard, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, on the on the other note, uh, as far as climate change, your last caller, I agree with him 100%. CO2 is not a pollutant. We, breathe, we expel uh, CO2 as humans, and the trees take it in and use it as photosynthesis. Let me untie my tongue. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, ridiculous. I agree with him 100%. It's a scam. It's all about money. Uh, There you go. Ding, ding. It is all about the almighty dollar. Follow the money, Gene. Thank you. But they're going to use it for everything. You know, it's blamed for the cause of everything bad that happens. If we get a hurricane this year in the Atlantic, still got a couple months to go. If there's a bad hurricane, they're going to point up global warming. It's the climate. It's the climate. It's your fault because you don't drive an electric vehicle. You could have stopped this. But they've been saying that every hurricane season. When when you see when we're getting fewer bad hurricanes, which I'm grateful for, 
but they'll every before every hurricane season they'll tell you it's going to be the worst one yet and then when it doesn't happen they just no, nobody says anything let's head to ohio hey jack you're on the brian kilmeade show hi hi there um i just want to say that thanks to al gore and his communist liberals they've taken what is weather cycles and turned it into climate change yeah but here's the if thing: you, if you go if you go back to an older farmer and look at his books on the weather he's kept track of over the years, you can see that these cycles happen every 10, 20, 50, 100 years. As an example, look at the icebergs that came down out of the Arctic in 2012. They were crying the world was going to come to an end. It was the worst thing they'd ever seen. A hundred years prior, the same thing happened. Look at what sank the Titanic, the worst yeah. iceberg flows coming out of the Arctic in 100 years. Nobody could remember seeing it like that. Right. Well, I, I do think a lot of it is cyclical, and that is a, a fantastic point, Jack. Thank you. Appreciate you joining me. And the other th- he, he made a really good point with Al Gore and how they're making this, uh, you know, making a lot of money off of this. Follow the money. And look at all of our celebrities who fly around in their their jets and on their big yachts. Leonardo DiCaprio, story just came out about him and helping to funnel lawsuits against oil and gas companies for damaging the environment. But yet Leonardo DiCaprio runs around in a plane that I'm pretty sure does not fly, you know, courtesy of unicorns in the bottom that just flap their wings, their little unicorn wings to make his plane go. He's burning fossil fuel. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. So once again, you're going to have to cut back, but they're not going to. I'm Mary Walter. Catch me on YouTube, Mary Walter Radio. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.